Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Friday, February 28th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next half hour or so. Let's go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here as we wrap up kind of an unconventional week here on Bang the Book Radio. Wasn't able to do Tuesday's show with some technical issues. Obviously, things sounding different here throughout the week. Uh, you can go to Twitter and see my appearances on Wager Talk videos. I did uh, an, uh, an hour on VSIN Tuesday night. Been doing some stuff here around the great city of Las Vegas this week. So things get back to normal here in a couple of days. But uh, for right now, still doing the best that we can here with today's show. And we'll do the best we can here on today's segment with Greg Peterson of the Hooping with Hoops podcast and also VEASAN. We'll chat with him about this weekend in college basketball. Take a look at conference tournament handicapping as well. Over at bangthebook.com, my 2020 MLB guide is available for download. You can get that in PDF form or click around the website, go to the individual articles. I do have an MLB win total primer landing page that has links to all of that preseason content, all 30 win totals, division pennant and the World Series futures, and of course the player futures as well with the Cy Youngs in both leagues, the MVP in both leagues, and of course the home run king prop, one of my favorite articles to write about. But it's not just baseball over there, we've got daily NHL, daily college basketball, daily NBA, weekly soccer, tennis, NASCAR, you name it, we got it over at bangthebook.com. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. One guest, one segment to wrap up this week on the show, and that is with Greg Peterson of the Hooping with Hoops podcast and Vsin, Greg, how's it going today, man? I'm doing great. How about you, my friend? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. And what we're going to do here on this segment today with Greg, we're going to talk about some games for Friday night, talk about a bunch of games for Saturday. Then we'll save the conference tournament discussion for the end of the show because those start up here on Tuesday, 13 conference tournaments beginning next week, 19 the following week. So we're getting down to the college basketball postseason here. And uh, I guess I'll ask you a general question about that first, Greg. You know, with the postseason coming with different motivational spots for these teams, are you noticing any changes in how these lines are moving out there in the market? Not really. It's one of these situations in which the numbers are the numbers. Maybe you're going to find an extra half point on senior night or anything like that. But it's one of these things where there's just really not a lot with regards to look at spots or things like that. These are 18 to 22 year old kids. And a lot of these kids, they're jockeying for position and there's always two sides to it. While one team might be looking at who says that the other team isn't as well, especially if you have a conference in which every team is going to be playing in their conference tournament. All right. So we take a look at some games here for tonight. I believe there's only 12 games on the card for this evening. So pretty light in anticipation of another big Saturday card, obviously. We start in the Horizon League here with game 853-854, Wright State on the road at Northern Kentucky. A lot of people are probably going to be surprised to see Northern Kentucky the three-and-a-half-point favorite, given that Wright State won by 32 in the first meeting. I think that this is a spot in which we're going to see Northern Kentucky obviously come out a little bit better. But with that said, I still look at Wright State just because we're going to have the advantage down the loud and love. It's been able to give this team 15 points, nine and a half rebounds per game. So I really do like what he's bringing to the table with that regard. 
And with Northern Kentucky, obviously they did not have Dantez Walton in that first matchup. As a result, they wound up just getting pounded 95-63. to 63. But with that said, this is a spot in which I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring because with Walton now in the fold, Northern Kentucky over the last three games, 280th in the country with regards to pace of play. Wright State is a team that has gotten to at least 70 points at all but one of their games so far this year, but they've been doing a solid job on defense as well. They have allowed more than 70 points twice in their last five games, but one of those games was a game in which they allowed 74 in overtime to Cleveland State, so they may have a hold up at the point of attack there. I think this might be a little bit of a slower game than a lot of people anticipate, but I think that in the end, Northern Kentucky, just with having guys like Cole Gentry, Bill Wampler and company, going to be able to pull this one out. Well, and this is one of those situations, too. You know, Wright State and Northern Kentucky cannot move. They're locked into the one and two spots in the Horizon League. Wright State has already won this conference. So people are going to say, well, the Raiders don't have anything to play for and then go ahead and bet Northern Kentucky. But the fact of the matter is that Wright State doesn't play again until March 9th because they get a double buy into the semifinals in that Horizon League tournament. These teams don't want to develop bad habits in this last game if they're not going to play for more than a week. So definitely something for people to keep in mind with regards to the formats for the conference tournaments. Don't just assume that teams are going to mail these last regular season games in. I do agree with you. And this is just big for them being able to build up some positive momentum in general. There's a lot at play here because like you said, they're not going to be playing for quite a while, at least 10 days. So I do think that this is a spot in which you want to be going into that break on a little bit of a high note. I feel like you sort of see it in baseball as well with baseball. Sometimes these teams that they wrap up their division or what have you a little bit early, they're in that layoff for a playoff. I do think that this is going to be just one of these spots in which both these teams are going to be playing their hardest. I do think that it's going to result in a little bit more of a slow and grimy game in which every possession is key. All right, so we're going on to the Sun Belt here for one other game on Friday night between Texas State and UT Arlington. And Texas State's been playing very, very well here. They were kind of an unlucky team early on in Sun Belt play. They lost some really close games. Their fortunes have kind of flipped a little bit. They've been, maybe over the last four or five weeks, the best team in the Sun Belt Conference, but they are catching a point tonight at UT Arlington. I don't know why we've got UT Arlington as a favorite, by the way. It seems like they've always been overrated in the market. David Azor has not been his normal self. He has scored 13 points or fewer in each of the team's last three games. This is a guy that from three-point range was shooting over 40%. Now he's shooting more like 33%. And for Texas State, Nigel Pearson, guy that puts in there 19.5 points per game. This is a Texas State team that they can go out for 100, but their real specialty is defense. With regards to defensive efficiency, which is the points that you give up on a per-possession basis, one of the best teams out there in the Sun Belt. Isaiah Small has the versatility, does a good job of being able to get some steals. You do like the way that Marlon Davis has been giving out right around three and a half assists and 1.4 turnovers per game. He's got a lot of veteran experience because he actually wound up missing the 2018-19 season due to injury. He's come back. He's been very solid. So I do like what he's able to do for this bunch. And this is fine, which I'm going to be taking a look at Texas State, despite the fact that they're on the road, just because they're so well-rounded and that defense does travel. All right, so let's look at some major conference games here for Saturday. Then we'll get into some of the smaller conference games, the ones that I definitely have my focus on here for Saturday. But we start with the Penn State and Iowa matchup. Maybe the best game on the board, according to some people. I think there are other games that are better than this one. But obviously, an interesting game last time out for Penn State. 
Now they're on the road at Iowa. Obviously, recording this here Friday morning, we don't have numbers for these games, but where do you sort of expect this one to come out, and, and how do you break this one down between Penn State and Iowa? I think that this is going to be a line in which you're seeing Iowa probably six-ish point favorite, and if I would be seeing that, I do think that Iowa in a revenge spot, because keep in mind, the last time these two teams played, that was a game at the Palestra, and it was a game in which you saw Iowa play close but no cigar. I think that they're going to be able to get their revenge. Now, we've seen Iowa fade time and time again in February, but this is not one of these years because Luca Garza is just that special. 23 points per game. Guy shoots 38% from three. It's got to be up there for the Naismith Award, in my opinion. He's been that good. And then when you take a look at Penn State without Marion Jones, this is a bunch that they've looked a little bit suspect recently. They got the win against Rutgers a couple days ago, but they had an epic second half collapse. Believe me, I was on them. I know all about it. And it just feels like this is a squad that, with going up against a team like Iowa that does have that dominant big man, their big advantage is down low. And with not having that, it's a real kryptonite for them. I don't know if Miles Dredd is going to be able to pull this off. And this is an Iowa team that so many people were having some injury concerns with C.J. Fredrickson and company. But Joe Wieskamp has just been a good concept for the team. Lump Joe Tucson out there in the backcourt. So if they're laying less than a touchdown, I'd be looking at the Hawkeyes. We stay in the Big Ten here, and we take a look at that huge game in College Park between Maryland and Michigan State. I think what's going to be there's going to be a lot of interesting things about this game, to be sure. Obviously, Maryland with a chance to win the Big Ten here uh, on Saturday. But the thing that's going to be interesting to me is I think there's going to be this really big public sentiment of it's effectively March. You know, obviously it's February 29th, but there's going to be this big public sentiment that Tom Izzo is going to get Michigan State figured out. And maybe he does it here in this game against Maryland. What's your take on the game? I think that Michigan State is going to eventually get it figured out, but I don't know if it's going to be on the road against Maryland. Now, Maryland obviously had that bonsai charge to end the game when these two teams played the first time around. But with Michigan State, it's been a little bit of a tough situation for this team. They certainly looked a little bit better when they knocked off Nebraska and then a few days ago, they were able to get that win against Iowa. But this is a team that they obviously play so much better at the Breslin Center rather than on the road. And with Michigan State, you just have not been able to gauge what you're going to be able to get around Cassius Winston. Winston has been doing a great job for this team. And Rocket Watts was able to step up in that game against Iowa. But it's been inconsistent. You've got Xavier Toman, who does a solid job down low. But Jalen Smith, we saw it in that first matchup. He was able to do a good job of neutralizing him. And Anthony Cowan was the guy that took over that game as well. So many people look at Cassius Winston as one of the best and most veteran guards in all of college basketball. Cowan is up there as well. And Maryland, have they been a little bit lucky in that game against Minnesota? No doubt. But this is a bunch that they're learning to play at home. They're learning to play on the road. I do feel like they play a little bit up and down to the competition. But if it's Maryland laying small number, probably would be looking at them. Speaking of teams that get it together here late in the regular season, the Virginia Cavaliers are playing well. They've ripped off five in a row. Duke not playing so well. We had that blowout loss to NC State not too long ago. Then, of course, they lose to Wake Forest here earlier in the week. This Duke and Virginia game takes on a pretty interesting context now because you know it's not a great year for the ACC Conference, as we know. What do you think about this one here with Virginia and Duke? Obviously, we've seen this matchup in the past couple years, and it's always been a grind. 
I do think that Duke is going to be opening up a slight favorite in this one, but I do think that Virginia is starting to play some of their best basketball. Mamadidi Ikite, guy that's in six foot nine, he's able to give this team about 13 and a half points, nine rebounds, does a solid job for the team. He's played in this rivalry before, but I do think that Duke is a bunch that has been playing a little bit better this year than last year. And the big reason why is because rather than Coach K just rolling the ball out there and relying upon sheer talent for his team, what he's been able to do is he's been able to do a great job in-game. He's used a bunch of different lineups. He's got more three-point shooting. Guys like Matthew Hurt, Cassius Stanley, they support really their main lottery pick in Vernon Carey. So I like the way that this team is starting to gel. I do think that Virginia is going to have value if they do wind up opening up an underdog, like I think, in this matchup. And the big key for Virginia is being able to have Kia Clark pretty much match up with Trey Jones because Trey Jones has been very solid for Duke, right? Around seven assists per game. Kia Clark, the three and a half turnovers per game, a little bit unsightly, but you got to think that this is going to be a battle of opposites. Duke always likes to get out and run one of the top over teams in all of college basketball. As we know, Virginia, number one team with regards to defensive efficiency. I think that we're going to get a game in which it's probably going to be a little bit slower. And I think that that's edge Virginia. Well, I don't know if anybody gained more last night than the USC Trojans. Big win at home over Arizona. Now they get Arizona State here coming to town on Saturday. And you know, I think that they're probably in the tournament right now. It's what a lot of people seem to say. Maybe they have to win a game out here in Las Vegas in the, in the uh, Pac-12 tournament just to be safe. But obviously it would help them tremendously to win this game here against Arizona State this weekend. How do you feel like the Trojans match up in that game? I think they match up pretty well because what you like for USC is that regardless of whether or not Nick Krakosevich goes, we know that he's been a little bit banged up. You are going to have Onyeko Kungwu. When Okungwu and Krakosevich are out there on the floor, a combined 17 rebounds from these guys. Okungwu himself, right around eight and a half to nine rebounds per game. He does a good job shooting over 70% at the free throw line as well. So I like what he's able to bring to the table. And then you've also got Ethan Anderson, a guy that was a little bit injured, but he gives this backcourt five assists per game. And then when you take a look at this matchup in general, you just have to take a look at USC and the way that they've been able to slow their games down. Over two-thirds of them have been going to the under thus far, so I really do like the way that USC has been able to lock down defensively. And then with the Pac-12 in general, as we know, it has been very haywire, but I do think that with Arizona State, they're probably going to have the best backcourt piece out there on the floor in Remy Martin, but who knows how they're going to be able to bounce back because their loss on Thursday was very debilitating. They were close, but no cigar against the UCLA team. And by the way, I believe is now tied for first in the Pac-12. I did not see that coming. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I do think that this is a good spot for USC to get the job done at home. Here's kind of a, an interesting question, obviously a talking point for another day and, and not necessarily betting related, although I guess, you know, you could sort of relate it to that. Is Mick Cronin the best coach in this conference now? Oh, no. I mean, that's Dana Altman, no question. If you're going to compare Mick Cronin to Dana Altman, I don't know, because, I mean, this this is one of these situations in which Dana Altman, time and time again, we've seen his work and how he's been able to get his team up off the mat. I remember when they wound up making that final four run. They were without Chris Boucher when they made that run to the NCAA tournament last year and very nearly knocked off Virginia. They had to win the Pac-12 tournament just to make the NCAA tournament. This man is, in my opinion, the best coach in college basketball. It is hands down, Dana Holman. All right, so let's go out to the SEC here. We got Auburn and Kentucky. And 
you know, very interesting game here in Auburn team that some people feel was very lucky early on in the season against the Kentucky team that people feel is rounding into form. And again, I mean, lather, rinse, repeat with these really good head coaches as the month of March approaches. John Calipari, of course, got this team playing at a pretty good level right now. Are they going to be able to cover as a home favorite here against Auburn? I think that Kentucky should be able to. You take a look at Auburn. This is a team that has been pulling a rabbit out of their head time and time again to get covers. We saw it last week against Tennessee. They were down 17 points in that matchup. And somehow, minus six slash minus six and a half, it winds up getting to the window. Absolutely insane. You take a look at this Auburn bunch. They are a squad that they do a solid job down low. No question. I do like what Austin Wiley has been able to bring to the table for the scene. But now he has to go up against eight Frio, Nick Richards, Nate Sestina, EJ Montgomery. This is a Kentucky team that no doubt has been a little bit banged up. Injuries to guys like Nick Richards, along with their point guard, Ashton Haggins, who gives out six and a half assists per game. But I think at some point, this just ends for an Auburn team that's very poor at the free throw line in a close game. I think that that's going to be edge Kentucky because Kentucky, one of the better free throw shooting teams that you're going to find in college basketball. And here's what's been big for Kentucky. They are quickly getting some three-point shooting from a manual quickly. 16.2 points per game. Shooting now 43% from three. Guy's been on absolute fire with a combined 56 points in the team's last two games. I like what he's able to do for this Kentucky team. I think he's going to be the X factor because last time these two teams played, he was certainly playing some solid basketball for Kentucky, but I think that he's now on another level. And with Samir Doughty and Javon McCormick in the backcourt for Auburn, I just don't think they can bear I go to the Northeast Conference here with you, Greg, where Merrimack wins the regular season, but they're ineligible for the conference tournament. So they won't be able to play in that, which begins here next week. Robert Morris and St. Francis PA are eligible for the conference tournament, and they're also eligible for the number one seed here. And that's what this game on Saturday uh, could determine there in that conference. We'll see if tiebreakers come into play. But St. Francis PA beat Robert Morris by 15 in the first game. What do you think happens here in the second game? St. Francis of Pennsylvania has been one of the best cover teams out there in all of college basketball. So I like what they're bringing to the table there. And then when you take a look at Robert Morris, they might have the best true low post player in AJ Brahma. So that is going to be very interesting. As you mentioned, these are the two teams that actually can go to the postseason. It's a crying shame that Merrimack is going to be ineligible due to the fact that they are coming over from Division II all the way up to Division One. I think that this is fine, which you probably should be trusting in the backcourt, though, because you've got yourself Isaiah Blackman along with Keith Braxton. These guys combined for about 34 points per game. Love what they're able to do with Robert Morris. Dante Tracy has no doubt been able to do a solid job of being able to facilitate this team, but it is one of these situations in which you've seen it from Robert Morris or you've seen it from St. Francis of Pennsylvania time and time again. I would go with the tried and true team that has been covering so much more, but a lot of that depends on the line that you're getting on this game as well. It's a really big weekend in the Ohio Valley Conference. You've got a three-way tie at the top between Belmont, Austin P, and Murray State, and this is a conference where the top two seeds get that all-important double bye to the semifinals. So the team that draws the short straw here winds up with the three seed, has to play in the quarterfinals, and it could very well be one of these two teams as Austin P takes on Murray State. Pretty good, you know, top three here in this conference. But what do you think about this one between the Governors and the Racers on Saturday? With Murray State, this is a team that has been a part of some big collapses. We remember last week 
They wind up blowing a 27-point lead in the final 12 minutes against Eastern Illinois. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side. This is an awesome P team. That's been one of your better cover teams in college basketball. Big reason why Scary Terry Taylor averaging about 22 points, eight rebounds per game. I love what he's able to bring to the table. And the big thing with Austin P is just being able to get him a little bit of support. You've got a guy in Carlos Payas who's been able to give this team nearly four assists and 1.3 turnovers per game. He has been highly efficient with it. Now with Murray State, you've got no doubt the better three-point shooting. Tevin Brown, guy that's able to really stroke it from three-point range. And Murray State should be opening up a little bit of a favorite because they are going to be at home in this spot. And with Murray State, despite the fact that they've had some collapses, they have been able to do a solid job. 63 points of fear given up in each other last four games, but Keep in mind, this is going to be a little bit of a wrench spot as well. Awesome P. Last time these two teams played, they wound up getting the win on their home floors, 71 to 68. Would not be surprised if we see this game be pretty much like Murray State minus three, minus four, where they pretty much make it a pick them on a neutral court, but they award the three to four points for Murray State because they are at home. And I think that the big thing you got to be taking a look at is just the fact that. Murray State is a better three-point shooting team when they are at home versus on the road. And the fact that this is an awesome P team, that they travel well, but at the same time, it's harder to hit those threes when you're in a true road environment rather than at home as well. As I'm looking at the card for Sunday here, I just want to ask you real quickly about a game on March 1st, and that's Michigan and Ohio State. And, you know, the the sentiment around Ohio State right now is that, you know, they're really rounding into form a very, very dominant performance last night. Uh, in the win over Nebraska, not a good look for Michigan in their game against Wisconsin. What do you think happens here in this game? I mean, does Ohio State just come out too high to play, and, and you may be looking at the Michigan side? This is going to be a very interesting spot because you've got yourself a Big Ten that, in general, has been leaning towards home teams. We have seen it all year long, but with regards to this conference in general, what we're noticing is that the road teams are starting to win a little bit more. You saw it in that Wisconsin versus Michigan game a couple days ago. Wisconsin was able to get the win there. We also mentioned the Penn State versus Rutgers game. Rutgers was not able to win that game outright, but they were able to get a cover. And then you take a look at this contest. You've got an Ohio State team that has been rounding in a form, like you mentioned, Caleb Wesson doing a solid job down low for this bunch, right around 14 points, nine and a half rebounds per game. But how about Xavier Simpson, the way that he was able to put up 35 in a loss against Michigan, but I think the key for Michigan is the fact that you now have Isaiah Livers back in the fold. This is a Michigan team that they are 5-3 and three against the spread with regards to having him in the fold four Big Ten games, and two of those losses against the spread wound up coming to Illinois, one of which was a game in which he was taken out early. I think that John Teske, a seven foot one gentleman for Michigan, should be able to keep this team at bay. I certainly think that Ohio State has the edge to be able to win the game, but if Michigan is catching something like five-plus points because we're noticing the home court advantage in the Big Ten becoming more and more, probably would be looking at it in the spot. All right, so what I want to ask you about here to wrap up today's show is, for like I said, 13 conferences go into their conference tournaments next week, 19 the following week. There are 32 conferences in college basketball. The first ones start on Tuesday here with conferences like the Atlantic Sun, Big South, the Horizon League, the Patriot League. So a lot of really small conferences starting here on Tuesday, but the regular season is one kind of animal. Conference tournaments in the postseason are another kind of animal. Does your handicapping, I guess I would say, strategy change when we get to conference tournaments? 
Not really. It's one of these things where the numbers are the numbers, in my opinion. Now, you certainly do factor in that teams are going to be falling a little bit more if they're down. Like, if you've got a Wake Forest versus Clemson game, both these teams are not going to be making the NCAA tournament. They're going to be hacking away like Lumberjacks if they're down by 10 with a minute to go. That is obviously something that you do keep in mind. But when it comes to the actual gameplay, it's not one of these things where I'm going to be shading a team a couple points just because it is a conference tournament. Now, you do take into account that the fact that these games are played on neutral courts. And some courts, they're a little bit more neutral than others. Like when the ACC tournament is played in Greensboro, like I think it is this year, that gives a little bit of an edge to North Carolina. Meanwhile, it gives a little bit of a disadvantage to a team that, well, they have to drive a little bit more like Florida State. So those are sort of things I look at. But it's not one of these situations where I'm just going to go through and completely scrap my model just because you've got now conference tournament plays going on. Well, to play devil's advocate here, you know, all these teams are, are playing back-to-backs for the most part. Some of the conferences where the games are on, or, uh, where the games are at campus sites, they've got travel days built in, so those aren't necessarily back-to-backs. But, you know, we've seen teams have to win four games in four days, five games in five days to try and win their conference tournaments. How does that factor into the equation for you? I mean, we know the Ivy League plays back-to-backs, and they're used to it, but these other teams and these other conferences are not. So what does that back-to-back factor mean to you? With regards to three-point shooting teams, it means a little bit more. But also, we've seen so many teams go on that Herculean run. We remember UConn several years ago with Kemba Walker. They win the Big East tournament. They then wind up winning the NCAA tournament. And we see it every single year where a team is able to make a run. These are 18- to 22-year-old kids. These are kids that they don't necessarily get very tired. I think the big thing is gauging it game by game because – Pretty much every one of these teams, in order to win their conference tournament, at some point they're going to have to do a little bit of a back-to-back. Most if you're in one of these conferences where you get a double bye, you have to win just two games to make the NCAA tournament, and they're a little bit spaced out. But I do think that the big thing is it wears out some of these teams that have jump shooting rather than these squads that they like to slow games down. They play a grimy defensive style. So I do think that this is a spot in which you have to gauge it team by team but I don't put overly much emphasis on it just because, like I said, these are kids that they're going to be motivated no matter the spot. Now, I know that you generally play almost exclusively pre-flop, and and what I mean by that is you play, you know, full games. You don't really do a whole lot of in-game betting or second-half types of things. In conference tournaments, we know that if teams have a big lead, they may kind of put it in cruise control if they know they have to play the next day, something like that. So do you shy away from big favorites in conference? tournaments i bet them the exact same way that i do normally during the season i'm typically a person that i'm not jones in to lay a whole bunch of points to begin with during the regular season and my approach stays the exact same here because you also want to keep in mind that with regards to these favorites as well they're actually going to be shaded down a little bit more because on a neutral court rather than a team being at home slash on the road you don't have that factored in as well so you're getting a little bit more of a I guess you could call it a true number. So it's one of these spots in which I'm going to be playing these favorites and underdogs the exact same way that I would in the regular season. This doesn't really have a lot of bearing on myself because what I noticed is that a lot of these teams, they also want to make a statement, especially if they're on the bubble. They want to just completely trounce some of these teams in their conference tournament. Last thing I'll ask you about here is from a market entry standpoint, you know, as we've talked about before, you play every side in total in every game. 
But more often than not, you've got overnight lines. And with the back-to-back formats here at the conference tournaments, sometimes the books can be a little bit slow to get some of those numbers up. So you know, does, does that sort of you know, have any kind of impact on, on what you're able to do? Sometimes they don't even post them up until the morning, to be honest with you, in a back-to-back situation because we notice it with the Ivy League. Ivy League plays on Friday. You're typically got, not going to get numbers on those until Saturday morning. And it becomes a wild, wild west to be able to get those numbers because, let's face it, they go up early in the morning. I'm talking like sometimes even 5 o'clock a.m. in a lot of these offshore books is where they typically go up first. And it's all about just being able to get the number that you like and fire it on it right away. I know that a lot of people, when it comes to like the first five inning uh, market with regards to baseball, they do sort of the exact same thing. And it's one of these spots in which, You just have to gauge exactly what you've seen, have your power rankings ready to go, and when you see numbers start to pop up, if you see something that you like, fire, because it might not be there in a couple minutes. I guess last thing I'll ask you here, something that we love to talk about here on this show, we love to talk about playing conference tournament futures, You know, sort of looking at the bracket format because that lends itself very well to things like money, money line rollovers, which we'll talk about on Monday, or just you know looking for some values on some of these teams based on the draw. Do you dabble in the conference tournament futures market at all? I'm a game by game better. I'm someone that I really don't look at this personally. If I were to, I would probably be looking at your money line rollover, which we like to call a rolling parlay. That's the best way to be able to play it because sometimes you can actually get better odds overall. And with doing that money line parlay and just doing the rollover, what you're able to do is if, someone gets hurt or you don't like the matchup or anything like that, you can walk away from the table with your winnings essentially because we all remember Auburn last year. This is obviously the NCAA tournament and not the conference tournament, but if you had a futures ticket on Auburn, having the injury that you did last year, you probably are going to be going into that final four game against Virginia. Like, man, I wish I had the option to just walk away right here, right now, because Shumo KK was so big to that Auburn team. So it is one of these situations in which I personally do not look at any of these futures or anything like that. If I were to, I would recommend the money line rollover that you just suggested, but I'm still going to be just going game by game. Greg Peterson, who's working and find on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. Where else can people find your work, man? You can also find the podcast Hooping with Hoops, where I break down every single college basketball game every single day on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Obviously, like you said, at GeneraScorty1 on Twitter. I am always on there, so it's always great to be on there, and it's always great to be joining you, Adam. Well, thank you very much, Greg. Really appreciate that. Once again, Greg Peterson, the Hooping with Hoops podcast. You can also catch him on VEASAN, and of course, uh, find him on Twitter, at GUnit underscore 81. Greg, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Always great to be on with you. Thank you. There you go. There's Greg Peterson. Once again, at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter, the Hooping with Hoops podcast, and also make sure you catch him on VEASAN. Coming up on our Monday edition of Bang the Book Radio, I'll do the betters box where I'll talk National League East with that five and fly segment, five minutes on every team in the NL East, and take a look at some updated spring training injury news and notes. Then we'll chat college hoops with Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com. We'll try to get to as many of the 13 conference tournaments as we can, but we love those segments. We love talking the futures market. Should be a whole lot of fun here after the weekend.
That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Monday.